you do not need a business to have an enterprise. Enterprise is much broader than business. So the enterprise definition includes business, but business doesn't include all of the things that may be able to be an enterprise. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 305 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. When you buy farmland, the GST registered seller will probably ask you to get an ABN and GST registration so they can sell to you as a going concern. Jeff Steen of Brownwright Steen Lawyers in Sydney will discuss with you in this episode how this going concern sale exactly works. My first question to Jeff is whether buying a farm as a going concern mainly works in the seller's interest or whether it also usually works in a buyer's interest. Generally speaking, if it's farmland that's being purchased for a farm enterprise, it's going to suit both sides for it to be sold as a going concern. And the reasons are A, less stamp duty because the dutable value is less and then GST is out of the picture. Those are probably the main two advantages, they're, correct? They're, they're the two main advantages. And, and from a, a vendor's perspective, they don't have to account or remit GST. The purchaser doesn't have to be involved in getting a credit for, for GST. As you say, the stamp duty then passes its way through. It's easier for a vendor to explain that it's selling an enterprise if there's small business concessions to be accessed. So selling as a going concern is a good thing. So now the question is, how do we get there? The first thing is the for a going concern to work, the buyer needs to be registered for GST, hence needs to have an ABN and be registered for GST. What about the timing? Does it matter if the buyer hasn't been registered for GST yet at the time the contract is signed? The I'm buyer needs to be registered at the time the supply happens and the supply happens on, on settlement. So it all happens at settlement. It doesn't matter if the buyer isn't registered for GST when they sign the contract. Correct. The now, contract does, of course, have to have a provision in it that says this is the supply of a going concern and pursuant to the contract, all of the things that are necessary for the continuation of that enterprise must be supplied. You just mentioned the contract. Is it enough to have a contract for the sale and purchase of land and then have the relevant tick box ticks that says not a taxable supply because it's farmland or because it's a going concern? Not in itself, Heidi. It, it needs to have some other type of evidence to say what is the enterprise. So if it's just farmland, there's nothing in itself in the land that says that there is being an enterprise that is being conducted on the land. But you can have a contract, which is the, the usual contract for sale of land and have special conditions attached to that contract that describe these are the things that are going with it. So for example, it may say, well, I've got a, a business name because I've got you know branded, let's call it Heidi Farms, and, you know, and Heidi Farms is selling Heidi Buttermilk to, you know, whichever cooperative is around. Those types of things would go with it. And typically, again, you would say you know, that you would want to be assigning, assigning contracts, the critical contracts that go with it. If there are employees or staff, you want to have those arrangements embodied in the contract so it's quite clear that the staff will be re-employed by the purchaser. 
So more often than not, it's better to have a combined sale of land and business. It's possible to do it all within a single sale of land contract, but typically you would probably do it in two. Good. So if it's a proper commercial farm with staff, etc., then yes, of course, you need a contract that clarifies what happens to the staff, etc. But what if it's just a mum and dad farm, you know, almost verging on a hobby farm where there is no staff? Could you then still qualify for a going concern if there is no other agreement apart from the contract for the sale and purchase of land? So you've got to be very careful now about whether a hobby farm is uh, an enterprise or something that's just being run privately for the amusement and entertainment. So in other words, is it in the course of an enterprise that it's being sold? So look, let's just say that it's a, a very small scale commercial operation. Can a normal contract for the sale and purchase of land, can that still work if it doesn't have any additional appendix to it, if it's basically just selling the land? Can that work if the sale of Yeah, there are so many aspects now to it that maybe... Yeah, so again, let's just say that our small-scale commercial operation is a growing operation and not a livestock operation. Do you mean growing grain as in terms of growing? Growing grain, growing grapes, growing trees. So there are trees, in other words. So that the things that are needed for the enterprise are actually embedded within the land. It will be a lot easier to argue that that is a going concern enterprise than if the enterprise was you know, had stock, so it was a, a dairy farm or a cattle farm or a sheep farm where you're not supplying any stock or any equipment relating to the stock. What is the enterprise then? Yeah. So if you are just buying grazing land and you don't have any additional contract, you just have the contract for the sale of land, then you're potentially in trouble with getting the going concern exemption through. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Third question, dual recipients. So the intended structure is that the land is held in individual names by the buyer, but the buyer wants to run the actual farming business through a company. So the idea is that single owner sells the land to the individuals, but sells the business to the company. And I understand that looking at the GST rules 2002-5, I understand that that is tricky to get through. You need to comply with a number of requirements, and those requirements are set out in paragraph 133 to 136, which I didn't understand at all when I looked at them. But the gut feeling I got out of them is basically that you need to have quite a customized contract to achieve this sale from single owner to dual recipients. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. The, the the essence of what you've got is it's it's really, quite frankly, difficult to work out what is the enterprise because you could be in the in the in the position where in order to have dual recipients, you've got to say essentially that there are two separate enterprises and be able to identify those two separate enterprises. Yes. So it it is much safer to just for now sell it all to the individuals and leave the company out? Because in the example you just gave, selling the land to one party and selling the business that's being run from the land to another party, the business is fairly straightforward, I think. That that, that is quite clearly an enterprise that you can say is, is distinct. Selling the land, it's hard to see how the land itself is going to be an enterprise when there's no leasing Done. There's, you know, what is the enterprise for GST purposes 
in the land itself. The leasing itself doesn't count as business, but a selling a property which is the subject of a lease can be a business, an enterprise, I should say. It's not a business, but it is an enterprise. So you can still get a going concern for selling property subject to a lease, same as if it was commercial property and you have a leasehold interest in commercial property, it's quite common for that to be a supply of a going concern. But having said that, Heidi, you remember when GST first came in, there was a discussion about what was a going concern going to be, and the view most people had was merely selling land that had just a leasehold interest was not going to be a going concern, a supply of a going concern, because you're not doing anything in the nature of an enterprise. It's simply a passive investment asset. But the ATO reasonably quickly issued some guidance to say, yes, no, we'll count that as being a supply of a going concern and, and it's okay to include that as a GST-free supply if, you, if all of the other factors are qualified. So that means selling to two different recipients, so splitting the land and the business, it's not as critical as I thought looking at this GSTR. Well, it's, it's hard to do. I think you know, to get it right and to make sure that both suppliers will qualify as taxable suppliers, I think it's really, really difficult. Good. So that means to make it simple, always sell the going concern in one lot to the owners of the land. Don't separate land and business for now because it's hard to comply with, with the rules if you want to split it. Correct. So then after that, the question is on selling. And I think the on selling is much easier. So to start with you, you just sell the land and the business to individual names. If you then afterwards want to run the business, so the farm through a company, I think on selling is much easier. If you just keep running the farm as usual as it is being on sold from one entity to the next, correct? Yeah, I think that's right because you're, it's easier to identify the enterprise that's being sold when it's the business. The sale of a business actually attracts stamp duty, correct? In years gone by, the sale of goodwill of a business was subject to stamp duty in the same way a sale of land would be subject to stamp duty. In common parlance now, unless there is some connection with a land transaction, a sale of a business asset by itself will not be subject to duty. Sorry, I'm qualifying everything all over the place. There are some nuances in different states because, as you know, stamp duty is state by state. But so that means our farmers won't have any problems to then on-sell the farming business from individual names to the company if they wish to do so. If they wish to do so, yeah. Because it will be GST-free as a going concern and it won't attract stamp duty because it won't have any land as an asset. Yeah. So the bottom line, I think, is don't split it at the time you buy it. First, transfer it together to individual names or whoever signed the purchase contract. And then afterwards, you can on-sell it to the entity who you want to run the farming business. Correct. Of course, it, it always helps if the buyer has already pre-split, the seller, I should say, has already pre-split it. So if you've got a seller that's got mum and dad who own the land and they've already got it, you know, trust owning the, um, the farming business, and the farming business sells the farming business to Trust A and the mum and dad sell the land to the principals of Trust A, then you've got two separate GST suppliers. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. If the seller has already split the land ownership from the business ownership, then, of course, it is very easy to sell the land to one entity and the business to another entity. But if the seller has it all in one name, then it probably should transfer together to the buyer and then the buyer can split it once they own it all. Yeah. Again, 
here, if I'm acting for a buyer, I'd say I really don't care if it's a taxable supplier because I'm going to pay you the GST and I'll just get a credit for it. And if there's stamp duty that, that's reflected, then so be it. And I'm probably prepared to do that so that I've already got it all separate and organised from day one. In other words, I'd be prepared to wear it in order to, to fund it, assuming that the cash flow permits it. It's only a cash flow issue and a very small stamp duty issue. The stamp duty on 10% of the purchase price won't be such a big thing. Probably not. The reason why I don't think it matters on the, on the stamp duty is because you've got to compare the stamp duty, additional stamp duty on the 10% against the administrative cost and the, the legal additional legal and accounting costs for doing the second transfer and setting up the pass-through of the business assets. So that's why typically I think you're just generally better off paying the GST or pay, you know, getting a refund for it and just funding it because you're already then pre-set up ready to go in your business operating assets. And if you're buying the land personally, you don't carry the business risk in that interim period until you've reset it up. Good. I actually have two more questions for you that weren't on the list. The first one is, if the seller made a mistake and first ticked on the uh, contract, not subject to GST because the seller is not registered for GST, and if that was a mistake and then they actually changed the contract and made it GST exempt as a going concern, that is fine, correct? As long as basically a new contract is set up and both sign again, that is... You could do a variation where both sides agree. As long as it's done before settlement, no problem. Okay. Good. So that was the first question. And the second question is, if a client came to you with a contract for the sale of land and settlement is in two days and there is no additional contract, nothing that identifies business assets, etc. And, and the business assets are actually meant to be sold separately. Would you say this is a serious matter and we need to quickly set up a contract or amend the contract to cover business assets to make it a proper going concern or am I too anxious about all this? You have a, a level of anxiety that needs to be reviewed properly. So if, if somebody has a concern that it hasn't been done properly, then it's sensible to get it checked and get it done properly. And the stitch in time to get something done properly is always better taken now than trying to fix something after after it's happened or after the horse has bolted from the stable door, if we're talking about farms, or after the virus has spread out of the eastern suburbs, South Sydney district, if we're talking about something more current. Yes. Next question. What if the going concern falls through for some reason? Somebody made a mistake and it doesn't come through. Who has to bear the GST then? Is it the seller who didn't charge the GST or is it the buyer who didn't pay the GST. Vendor that's supplying a going concern and, and ostensibly qualifies for all of the relief, but the tax office comes around two years later and says, well, what's going on here? You didn't have all of the things sold that were necessary for the continuing operation of the enterprise. Here's our GST bill. And who bears that liability? So in the standard contract, there is a provision that says that a If the vendor is levied to GST, then the vendor can serve a notice on the purchaser and the purchaser must pay the amount equivalent to the GST that the vendor has to pay. And then theoretically, the purchaser can get a refund of that GST at that point in time. Okay, so it's the purchaser who has to pay the missing GST if the going concern doesn't qualify. 
Correct. And that's normally the case. But it would be unusual for the tax office to bother in that scenario because it should be tax neutral. The tax office is only going to bother if it's um, a situation where the vendor is registered for GST, but the purchaser is not at the date of the supply because the tax office can then assess the vendor but the purchase and the, per, the vendor may be able to pass on the liability under the contract. It depends on the contract terms, but the purchaser in those circumstances won't be able to get a credit. So the most important thing is that the buyer is registered for GST at the time of settlement. And a prudent vendor should check mm -hmm. that the purchaser is registered for GST at the time of completion if the purchaser, if the vendor is going to claim going concern exemption. Next question. When you look at the contract for the purchase and sale of land in New South Wales, it has two tick boxes. One says GST-free because the sale is the supply of a going concern under section 38.325, so 38-325. And the other tick box is GST-free because the sale is farmland supplied for farming under subdivision 38 Oh. Is there a difference between the two? I mean, apart from, of course, that one refers to farmland and the other one just refers to a going concern. But is there a difference between the two that we need to be aware of? In a practical sense, you know, are you better off as a vendor claiming a GST exemption under going concern or claiming a GST exemption under farmland? The answer is no if you can get it under either, although the compliance issues for farmland should be easier to satisfy than compliance issues for going concern. So for farmland, you don't need to worry, for example, that you're supplying everything in connection with the enterprise. So that means if farming equipment, for example, is sold separately, then this is not such an issue. Yeah. But don't forget in those circumstances that the, the equipment sale supply is subject to GST. So if the vendor then submits an invoice to the buyer for let's say $25,000 for farming equipment and that invoice doesn't list GST even though the vendor is registered for GST, that is an issue because the separate sale of farming equipment doesn't fall under the going concern GST exemption, correct? If it's sold separately, no, it doesn't. But if it's sold in one line, then it should. Okay, good. And so if it's sold separately and $25,000 was agreed and it now needs to include GST, would then the GST come on top of the 25,000 or not? I assume that no, because the price that was agreed was 25,000. It's up to the vendor to work out what amount, or it really comes down to what was agreed, correct? Exactly. It's what was the deal? Yeah, mm. what was the deal? So normally, you know, again, under uh, consumer law, amounts are intended to be quoted as including GST unless expressly said otherwise. Good, but if it's a sale from one business to another business, because we are talking about going concern here, then I think it's usually assumed that it's quoted without GST, correct? Not necessarily, but usually that's exactly the same as the same before. It's, the assumption needs to be that it's everything is including GST unless it says otherwise. So that means the buyer could go back to the seller and say, it should include GST, but the GST doesn't come on top of the 25,000. It should be included in the 25,000. Yeah. Next point, coming to the all of the things that are necessary condition, which is a, a very important requirement for going concern sale. But you really hinted at that if you go for the farmland exemption, 
that then this condition that you need to sell everything that is necessary for the business, that condition is not there for farmland. Is that right? Yeah, so that the condition's not there for farmland. It's just it's a different condition about what's intended or, or that it's, you know, for example, it's been used as farmland for the previous five years. But you're not having to sell all the things or supply all the things that are necessary for it to be continued as farmland. Since it's like that, it probably also doesn't matter if the farm equipment is sold slightly before the settlement of the land, correct? If it's being done as a uh, farmland sale as opposed to a going concern sale. Yes, Correct. Good. So let's say the settlement for the land is in is in, in a month's time, but the farming equipment is already sold now. That's fine. Correct. Good. The only risk is that if the settlement is only in a month or two months time, but the buyer already pays, let's say, $50,000 for the farming equipment, if the settlement of the land then falls through, the $50,000 that were paid for farming equipment are probably then gone. So the buyer is very vulnerable with respect to this early farming. Unless the buyer has taken title to the farming equipment. And, you know, for example, let's say that the person buying the farm is the next door neighbour and the person has the ability to use the farming equipment immediately on their own farm. They just take title immediately. Okay. So they good. pay for it and take the title, yeah. Otherwise, why would you bother? They, neither side should bother and, and it's all everything happens at the same time. So it does represent a risk for the buyer if the farming equipment is not really worth what it was meant to be worth and maybe it was an effort to reduce stamp duty or... Nobody would would attribute a false value to plant and equipment and then have a separate contract having that false value in order to save stamp duty. None of, none of our listeners would do that. Okay, and I can see that you're smiling and laughing, so I, I take it like that. But... Having said that, it exposes the buyer to a risk, correct? If we're saying, look, there's there's value that's being attributed to assets and then you've got a commercial problem, which is you've actually bought those assets, you take it on the value of those assets and you run the risk that if the, the value can't be attributed to those assets, then you lose. Yes, and that links back to a case we once discussed about a family that had bought consulting fees to their landlord for dubious reasons and then the sale of the land actually fell through and those consulting fees then were the subject of a court case and the buyer lost. It comes back to that. If you try to move value away from the land to a separate payment to save on stamp duty, you become very vulnerable if, if the sale of the land falls through. Yeah, it's worthwhile talking, exploring though that concept a little bit further because there are some practical vendor side issues that need to be considered. Um, so if you're acting for a vendor and you're selling plant equipment, the question really is, what's the true value of that plant and equipment that you're selling? Because quite often it'll have a written down value. That written down value may be different to the value, the, the true value, if it was an auction value or going concern sale value. And so you could be in a position if that apportionment is not done appropriately, that the buyer is paying an amount for those pieces of plant and equipment or wants to pay an amount for those pieces of plant and equipment and the amount that you're getting for that is revenue. That is, you know, the balancing charge because the amount attributed to the plant and equipment exceeds the written down value. Right? And that'll be income. And if you're planning on getting capital gains tax discounts or small business concessions, it won't apply to the excess amount paid for plant and equipment. Yes, 
That's a very good point. By inflating the value of farming equipment, you basically move values from capital to income and capital gains are a lot more concessionally taxed than income. And hence, you're basically shooting yourself in the foot. From a vendor perspective, yeah. The corollary, of course, for a purchaser is forgetting about the stamp duty for a minute. It's basically saying, assuming that the value that I'm paying is true market value, then I can reset my depreciation allowances on those items. Yes, you get more depreciation. Yeah. The early sale of equipment doesn't hinder the um, seller's ability to run a business up to the day of supply, correct? When when we're talking about a farming business. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, because what we're assuming is that the early sale of equipment is not equipment that is necessary for the continued operation of the enterprise. But if it's necessary, then if you're applying going concern exemption, then you must only supply it at the time that you're supplying everything in connection with that enterprise. Good. So the early sale of farming equipment is an issue? It's an issue if it's necessary. If it's not necessary, so it's surplus to to the enterprise itself, then it's not as much of an issue. Okay, good. So the question is how much more equipment is there after this early sale of equipment? If it's all of the equipment, then it would be an issue. Yeah. And, and again, if you're a vendor, why would you bother? You know, why, why, why would it be important to sell the equipment earlier than the completion date? Now, a different question, and that is adjustment. A long time ago, I think it, we were talking about land tax and stamp duty. I think we were talking about land tax and you mentioned that adjustment doesn't qualify for a primary production exemption. And I just wanted to come back to that because on the New South Wales website, it does say that this exemption applies even if someone else who's not the owner uses it for primary production. That True. Would, hence, I would think the exemption does apply to adjustment. False. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't because... Essentially, what they're looking at is what's the activity. So if I lease the property for to someone who is conducting, let's say, a dairy farm, and they're allowing the cattle on the dairy farm, yeah, so, so it's essentially an extension of the dairy farm, then that'll be okay because essentially the whole of the property is being leased for the purpose of running the farm. But with an adjustment arrangement, adjustment is typically a licence arrangement where I'm, I've got the property but I and, and can use the property, but I am permitting, I'm granting a licence for you to put a couple of ploughs there or something from time to time, okay? So I'm not actually giving you exclusive use of the land for the purpose of conducting your primary production business, All right? Or use another example, far more obvious, that, that what's commonly happened in the racing industry is that uh, horses go for a spell, and the horse goes for a spell and, and you might seek to have somebody that's got a good pasture of land to say, can I adjust, can you adjust my horse on your land, you know, for three or four months while it has a has a rest? You know, that, that adjustment doesn't itself qualify for primary reduction. There's nothing that's being, the land is not being used for the purpose of, you know, producing goods. So if the land is, is leased to another farmer and the other farmer runs cattle on it, then it then sells um, to the beef industry, then it would count as primary production. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, essentially what we're saying is if the land, if the farmer 
has exclusive use to the land, right? So that essentially becomes integrated with their farming enterprise, then that should qualify as using the land for primary production. But that's it's something more than a pure adjustment. So if the land is completely leased to a farmer for the exclusive use of the land for for example, running cattle, then it would qualify for primary production. But if it's just, yes, you can run your horses here once in a while, then it wouldn't qualify. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Okay, good. So now, if the vendor in our scenario doesn't run actually their own farming as such, they just have adjusted all of the land. So they leased all of the land to another farmer for, let's say, 34, let's say 50k a year, would the vendor actually qualify for a going concern sale? Uh, could do, but what you're selling is not the farming enterprise, you're selling the land as a, a landlord. Yes. So you're saying the... Uh, the leasing vendor... activity is what becomes the the enterprise that's the subject of the going concern. Okay. So then it means selling it under the farmland exemption then wouldn't work. The farmland exemption, you may still work because it's just that the, it's not the farm that you're that you are carrying on, and you've got to work out whether then you you're still going to qualify under those provisions. Let me just pull them out, had them out a minute ago for you. So, what we've got to do is, in order to qualify for the thirty-eight O, okay, is the the farmland exemption, the supply of farmland is the supply of a freehold interest or a leasehold interest, including if it's potential residential land, if the land is subdivided you know, from land on which a farming business has been carried on for at least five years and the supply is made to an associate of the supplier without consideration. So do you th does that answer the question? Supply of a freehold interest is land with long-term lease is GST-free. If the land is land on which a farming business has been carried on, And the recipient of the supply intends that a farming business carry beyond, carried on. But it doesn't follow that the farming business has to be carried on by the owner of the land. Good. So that means even if the farmland is 100% leased to another farmer, it still would then qualify for the uh, farmland GST exemption? It can do. Again, it's just simply, has it been used as for a farming business in the previous five years? Good. And it needs to be the full five years, correct? Yes. So that means the the fact that the land has been leased out is not an issue and the buyer then can basically continue this lease contract and then it would also then meet the requirements for this GST exemption, correct? Correct. Okay, next question. It always says agree in writing, that buyer and seller need to agree in writing. Does just a normal contract for the sale of land, does that qualify as an, as an agreeing in writing? So a normal contract with the standard terms where the GST going concern box is ticked qualifies. Okay. Because it has a provision in it that says we agree that this is a supply of a going concern. Okay. Awesome. At least one thing is easy here. <laughs> so now just quickly running through the scenario. So we have husband and wife or mum and dad, they buy a farm in individual names to use for primary production and also as a main residence. But they also want to use a portion of the land for a business, a non-farming business. And so then the desired structure is to run the primary production and business through a company. 
but to hold the land itself in individual names to allow negative gearing. And so from what we have discussed so far, that can happen like this. The only thing is that the farming business first needs to be sold to individual names, so to mum and dad. And then if mum and dad want to do so, they can on sell the business to the company or they could just run the business in individual names. If then the land is leased to another farmer, as it is currently, but the mortgage payments don't cover that lease, then they can't negatively gear that loss because then it is a commercial loss, correct? Correct. So that means you need to get the farming business into the company and you probably also need to run, you need to do some farming yourself and not just have it completely leased, correct? To yeah, but it's completely leased. So the, the, the land is being used, you know, particularly with associate for, you know, the, the land is simply getting a, a return as a landlord of a commercial business. It's the question is, what's the scale of the activity that's being done on the on the land by the company, say, if the company's carrying on the farming business? If you didn't have this going concern and if you didn't talk about a farming business, then it actually could be negatively geared because it's a passive use loss. It's like when you buy an apartment and it makes a loss, you can offset it against other income. So if it was just completely passive, we wouldn't have a problem. But we're basically dancing on two weddings at the moment because we claim it's a business and hence we get a going concern GST exemption. But then we want to negatively gear the loss and we don't want to have it blocked under the commercial loss provisions. So we're kind of getting stuck one way or the other, correct? Yes and no. In principle, and, and certainly as for a layperson, I think that analysis is, is right. It, it looks odd. But the tests are slightly different because you do not need a business to have an enterprise. Enterprise is much broader than business. So the enterprise definition includes business, but business doesn't include all of the things that may be able to be an enterprise. Okay, good. So that means it would work. We have an enterprise and hence qualify for the going concern GST exemption, but then it's not a business because we just 100% lease out the land and hence we have an, a loss from passive income and then we can just tax deduct that loss against other income. Yeah. And then just last question, if it's just one title and there are actually three users of this land, so there is primary production or we lease it out for primary production, then there's the main residence and then a small portion of the land is also used for business, a non-farming business. And so the primary production land is exempt from land tax, the main residence is exempt from land tax, but the um, land that is used for the business, of course, is not exempt from land tax. But as long as that land doesn't exceed the current threshold in New South Wales of 755,000, then we should be okay with respect to land tax. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that's fair. What we need to do with respect to contracts or documentation or do we even need to document anything or is it enough to just say, look at those two buildings that are used for business, they're clearly not worth more than 755000 and that's enough? What needs to happen to make this work? Well, if you're talking about land values, don't forget it's going to be whatever the Registrar General says the land is worth. So the fact that there are buildings on there becomes largely irrelevant. Uh, the buildings are used for the business, then it should be fine anyway. If the majority of the land is used for primary production, then 
it's fine for land tax. There shouldn't be a land tax issue. Correct. Welcome back. So the main thing is that you as the buyer are registered for GST at the time of settlement and don't split the purchase, but first get it across in one lot, meaning the land plus the farming business. And then after that, you can on sell as you see fit. In the next episode, episode 306, Jerry Wombeek of Wow Connect will talk about ERP systems. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. And if you're in lockdown, I hope it treats you kindly. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.